skiers and riders, and welcome back to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. And a big thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Party Grass Boys for kicking things off again. Keep your eyes out for some new music coming from Pixie and the Party Grass Boys this winter, their Ski Utah's favorite band. And welcome back again to our sponsor, High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. When you're in Utah, visit one of High West's locations, either in Park City or nearby Wanship. This week, we welcome back a popular Utah-based outdoor company to the Ski Utah Last Chair podcast. Thanks to Gregory Mountain Products, based right here in Salt Lake City, for supporting Last Chair. Check out Utah-based Gregory Mountain Products at gregory.com. Okay, we all love snow, right? And that's why we're here. And in today's world of fingertip technology, we want to know as much about the snow forecast as humanly possible. Enter Evan Thayer. A self-proclaimed weather nerd when he was young, the only thing that really challenged him was whether to spend more time following the weather or out on his skis in Tahoe, so he did them both together. Coming out of college, Evan started a snow forecast email list, and that led to building a blog that sometimes had 10,000 skiers checking the weather. And finally, partnering up a decade ago with Open Snow, and that's formed the career pathway for Evan Thayer. As the Open Snow forecaster for Utah, he has a big responsibility. He's up each day at 4 a.m., he looks at the weather models, analyzes data, uses his own experience to ultimately help us wake up to an accurate forecast. Evan was one of our first season guests back in 2019 on Last Chair, episode number three, and he joined Professor Powder Jim Steenberg a year ago to make some sense out of the endless snow that we enjoyed. So let's get down to it, reminiscing a bit from last year, taking a look at the early season forecast, and also learning more about the role the whale played in all of this with Utah's open snow reporter, Evan Thayer. So for this episode of Last Chair, we've pried Evan Thayer away from the deep powder at Alta to come back on. And I think, Evan, this is your third appearance on Last Chair. That sounds right, Tom. Yeah, I think I think I did one alone, one with Jim Steenberg, and I guess this is number three. Yeah, you were on, I think, season one. We were just starting this thing, and I can't remember if we recorded it up at Snow Basin. I know we photographed you up there, but you were episode three, and I'll put this in the show notes. People can go check it out. So you've been doing this for a while. I have, yeah. And we were in season three, or you said season three already, huh, of last chair. I'm in season five now of last season year. Five. So you were oh, season five. Wow. I know it's 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 really crazy. It's really and crazy. I do so, remember the first the first one we recorded from Nathan Rafferty's office at the Ski Utah office. Oh, that's right. He was out of town. We cleared off his desk and made room for the microphone. So that was <laughs> exactly. great. So you you had a chance to get out to Alta the first weekend of December. Interesting weekend with a lot of weather. So tell us about that. You know, every early season, I like to do a little staycation in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Usually you can get a lot better rates. It also coincides with my birthday. So I had a little birthday staycation at Goldminer's Daughter. I knew there was a big storm coming. I knew I could get a room for a reasonable rate. And rather than deal with getting up early and getting up the canyon, it's kind of nice to wake up to fresh snow up there in Little Cottonwood Canyon, roll out of bed, get some breakfast. And this 
then just trundle out to the lifts and you're there. So I opted to do that. And I had one extremely good day and two good days that just involved a little bit of patience. There's never really a bad day, is there? There isn't. And that's what I was saying. I was hanging out with a lot of friends, seeing a lot of fellow skiers up there, and it was just camaraderie in the mountains. And even though there were delayed openings and maybe it wasn't the best snow later in the weekend, just being up there in the mountains, I was having a very good time. For everybody that gets in their car every morning and follows the uh, Red Snake up the, the canyon, what's the experience like when you're actually there? Gold Miner's daughter must be, what, one minute to the to the lift? What's that, what's that experience like? To me, it feels like I'm just part of the mountain. I know, you know, Brandon Ott, who works at Alta, he once told me that if you spend a lot of time up there, Alta becomes your mistress. And I, that's, it's a weird thing. It might sound weird, but once you're up there and you're spending, you know, a night or two nights up there, you kind of get it. Like you just feel so removed from the rest of your life. And it feels like, I don't know, it almost feels like a double life, some duplicity going on, but you're up there in the mountain and it's just, to me, it's an escape. That's amazing. I imagine it's pretty nice to be up there first thing in the morning and still the crowds aren't up there yet and you've got first shot at anything new. And you did have some powder that weekend. I did. Yeah, it snowed over four feet while I was staying up there. So I had a lot of powder. And I'll tell you, there is nothing greater than hearing avalanche charges going off at 530 in the morning and waking up to that. That's pretty wild. We're going to talk a lot about weather on the podcast here and reminisce a little bit about last year and look ahead to this year. And hopefully you're going to give us some prognostications. I know you'll probably be conservative, but hey, let's go nuts a little bit. But before we do that, for folks who didn't meet you on one of the earlier podcasts, give us a little idea on how you got into this weather thing. You know, I was always a weather nerd. I was, I just spoke about this actually on the Blister podcast a few weeks ago, but I was the kid who Back in the days prior to having internet, I would set a cooking timer so I could run inside from playing with my friends and see the local on the eights on the old weather channel, because that's when you could see the local radar. So as storms came in, I grew up in Lake Tahoe. I could watch them come in on the local on the eights on the weather channel. But I was always obsessed. It was kind of chicken and the egg. Was I a weather nerd or was I because I was a skier or was I a skier because I was a weather nerd? I don't know. But I ended up going to school for it in Colorado. I also did computer science. And then after graduating, I kind of graduated right around the time of the 2008 financial crisis, came out and I had this computer science degree. I got a job, which wasn't easy to do at that time. And I thought weather was behind me. And then after moving to Utah, I was still a weather nerd. And all my friends quickly learned that I was the one who had the knowledge of when storms are coming in. And so long story short, I started telling them when it was going to snow and that spread. I put it on a blog that grew in readership. And now 15 years later, it's my full-time job. So how did all of these friends find you? I mean, some of them were your friends originally, but how did all of these other fans find you? It was just word of mouth, 100% organic. I you know, they would just be, oh, I know this guy who sends out, originally it was an email distribution list, and he sends out this email every morning telling you when it's going to snow. And then I kept getting requests to be added to that. That's when I put it on the blog. And then 
I could see the analytics and I could see that every day it's felt like more people were reading it. So I'm assuming it was just, hey, somebody's writing this really great forecast and spreading it and sending links. And and like I said, next thing you knew, like I was joining Open Snow and it's become my full time job. Before we get to Open Snow, when you were just doing your email, how big did your list get? I think it got to about 300 people before I decided maintaining it was too much of a pain. And I put it on a blog instead of doing an email list. And were you getting on the blog? Were you measuring traffic? Do you have a sense of how many people were coming regularly to get the snow forecast from you? I still remember one big storm the first year I was doing this. It wasn't snowing too much. And then in mid-January, we got a big storm cycle. And I still remember looking and seeing that 10,000 people had read my forecast one one day. So I think it was usually about three to 5,000 people, but I still remember breaking 10,000 and how crazy that sounded to me at the time. Man, it still sounds crazy. That's a lot of people. <laughs> it is. So tell us a little bit about Open Snow and first of all, how you got into Open Snow and what the product is like today. Well, Open Snow, there are three original forecasters who were all writing separate forecasts similar to what I was doing. It was myself in Utah, Brian Allegretto in Lake Tahoe, and Joel Gratz in Colorado. Joel met up with Andrew Murray, who is a University of Utah graduate from the Atmospheric Science Department, and they had met fortuitously in Colorado, and they decided to start Open Snow. And they quickly heard about Brian and I writing similar forecasts in Tahoe and Utah. And so in those first year or two of open snow forming, and this was back in 2010, they reached out to Brian and I and pitched it as a concept. And Brian jumped on board immediately. And I had Wasatch snow forecast and I was a little bit more reticent. And it took me about three or four years to finally come to the conclusion that these people knew what they were doing and going with open snow wasn't risking what I had built. And so eventually I took the plunge and I joined open snow, I think in full time in 2014. And so now for the past nine years, I've been writing exclusively for open snow. Sorry, how has the app grown in that time then? That's been almost a decade now. It's grown a lot. I mean, like I said, it started as mostly three regions. Now we have I don't know, 15 to 20 forecasters around the world writing daily snow forecasts. We've grown the product itself to have all sorts of different maps and overlays and different features you can use. We launched last year Forecast Anywhere, which was a huge undertaking, but it allows a user to click on any point in the world and get the same quality forecast that you would get for, say, Park City or Alta. For any point in the world, you can see an hour by hour forecast for the next 10 days and you can save that as a favorite. I mean, you can save your house as a favorite and get a tailored forecast for your backyard if you want to using open snow. So we have continued doing what we originally did, which we're writing these daily snow written forecasts, but we've added in so many more forecasts and so many more tools so that users can go out there and get this information for themselves and interpret it for themselves. Let's talk a little bit about that micro forecasting. This has always been fascinating to me. And I think a, a lot of people just think, okay, we're going to watch the weatherman and he's going to tell me kind of what's moving across the state. But this precision forecasting, how does that work? Well, there's kind of different scales at which 
global weather models forecast. And the broad, large scale is called synoptic scale. And that's kind of like overall weather patterns. But then you have this kind of like mesoscale and nanoscale, smaller scale level that models are high resolution and they actually go in and they look at the overall weather pattern, but then they take all these inputs that they're taking and they apply it to things like topography of an area. And in mountain weather, topography is crucially important because as we know, if we were just going by latitude and longitude, there wouldn't be much difference between the weather in Alta and Salt Lake City. But because of topography, we know that Alta gets 550 inches of snow in a winter and Salt Lake City gets maybe 40 or 50 inches. So there's just critical elements of this mesoscale, small scale forecasting. And that's what we do. We're taking all of that large scale data and we're downscaling it into these high resolution forecasts that apply to any place in the world. When we look at our open snow app and we look at the forecast for the number of inches that we expect tomorrow at Snowbird or Brian Head or Deer Valley, is that something that you're interpreting this data and forecasting, or is that generated by the automation? It's both. We use automation. We have a proprietary algorithm that we use to forecast snow. Now, that takes in several different numerical weather models of different that have different skill sets of different range, takes them all in, and we've kind of tinkered with this until we got an algorithm that we think takes the right weight of each of those weather models and averages them. So that's an automated forecast. But models aren't perfect. Forecast models have biases. And still, it takes a human touch to look at these models and say, yes, this sounds good, or no, I'm not quite trusting what I'm seeing. So it's a little bit of both. If you'll see, if you read my forecast, you'll see sometimes that I disagree with what our automated forecast is saying. Our automated forecast might be saying, oh, we're going to get, you know, 15 inches of snow at Alta. But I look at it and I say, you know, this system, I've seen this happen before where sometimes we get more subsidence or like stable air coming in after the front and snow turns off quicker than we expect or, you know, the wind lowers the snow to liquid weight ratios more than we expect and we don't get quite as much. And there's a whole bunch of different things that can happen that can change a forecast. So it's both. There is the the automated generated part, and that's important. I mean, I can't be up 24-7 looking at every model run. So the automated part's great for any changes that we see. But then you need the human touch to kind of contextualize it and interpret it and see if there's maybe things that aren't quite lining up. You talked a little bit about the liquid content. I know that's something that skiers and riders have started to look at a little bit more intently the last few years. Tell us what, how that's determined and what it means to us as skiers or riders. It's huge. I mean, it's the reason why people talk about how much snow, say, Lake Tahoe gets, but they'll say, but the skiing in Utah is so much better. Like, I agree with that statement. And the reason why is because here in Utah, we typically have a lot less water content in our snow, which means it's lower density, it's fluffier, and most people would agree that's better skiing. So when a storm comes in, it's not always just about, you know, how many inches of snow we're going to get. It's what is the snow to liquid ratio? How dense is that snow? Is it going to start dense and get fluffier through the storm? Or is it going to be what we saw earlier in December where we saw you know, a really fluffy start to the storm with cold temperatures, and then the snow got denser throughout. I mean, all of that, it has huge implications for not just the ski conditions, but also, you know, 
avalanche danger, etc. So the snow to liquid ratio and how much water content is in the snow is very important. And that's just from the ski point of view. But then you think about like drought and actual like the hydrological impacts of water. And what matters is not how many inches of snow falls, it has how much liquid is in the water. So when we're trying to fill the Great Salt Lake, what we look at is how many inches of liquid are comprised in that snowpack. So it's hugely important, Tom. My next question might actually be a little bit out of the meteorological sphere, but I'll throw it at you anyways. So I was up at Canyons today, and we've had pretty warm temperatures the last couple of days, and things have been relatively soft. But it got a little bit colder, but there was a lot of wind today, and it seemed to really dry out the snow. I know this is after it's fallen from the heavens and it's on the ground, but how much of a factor does wind have in drying out the snow and keeping it a little bit more manageable for us? It can. I mean, when you pass wind or air over any surface, it's going to dry things out faster. It's the same concept of if you have, you know, a leak in your house, why they tell you to put a fan on it because you get circulating air that will dry it out faster. I think more so what it does is wind rescours snow and you kind of get a little bit of buff. And as that snow tumbles, it's kind of like putting a rock through a rock tumbler, right? It kind of turns it into more chalkiness. So a lot of times you get this chalky wind buff feel to snow that feels drier and feels, you know, like better ski conditions. So wind can definitely help in that regard. Back to the Open Snow app, for those who maybe haven't been using the app, what's a simple introduction to the Open Snow app and what skiers and riders should take away from it as they plan their weekend? The Open Snow app, the simple introduction is we are an app that is trying to give you the best day possible. And everybody has a different definition definition of what the best day possible is. But we're going to give you all the information. We can give you exactly how ski conditions are, exactly how the weather is, and how that's going to impact a day trip, a week's trip, where you go, all sorts of decisions. But we want to give you the most information and the most up-to-date information to allow you to have the best possible time in the outdoors, especially skiing or snowboarding. So I use it in a number of different ways, and I do use the micro forecasting aspect of it too. But for folks who haven't used the app, you can pick out your favorite ski area. You can look at how much snow is being forecast. You even have a little bit of an hourly breakdown. You know, do do you find, and I know that you're out on the slopes or you're busy forecasting, but do you find that people are using the app during their days to kind of look and see, okay, what's the weather doing as uh, the afternoon comes along? Oh, yeah. We have evolved as an app where I think traditionally it was all about powder. It was all about skiing. And if you ask me what I care about, what's most important to me, I'll still say powder and skiing, but people are using the app now for all sorts of different things. In the summer, they're using it for their hiking trips. We have estimated trail conditions that tell them whether it's a muddy trail or a snowpack trail or a dry trail. So if you're planning biking trips or hiking trips or backpacking trips, you can use it for that. We have smoke overlays. So in wildfire season, you can see if there's going to be smoky skies when you're out enjoying the outdoors and if that smoke is going to be at the surface level level, or if it's going to be up higher in the atmosphere and how that's going to affect the air quality if it's hazardous for you to be out breathing that air. I mean, anything you can think of of how nature interacts with your recreation, we are working to forecast that to make sure you have, again, all the information you need to get out and enjoy nature. 
Last question before we go back and reminisce a little bit about the past season that was so amazing. What's a typical day for Evan Thayer working open snow during the course of the season? <laughs> well, there was a time where I would write a forecast, then I would go up and ski, and I would ski through the morning, and then I would run to my day job and work until late into the evening, and then I'd wake up the next day and do it all over again. But I'm now in the mode where I write my forecast, I get up at 4 a.m., I write a forecast. If I'm lucky, I'm done by 7 a.m., and then it's all 100% dad mode from that point on. I have a three-year-old son, so things have changed a little bit. So I am no longer working a full-time job aside from Open Snow. Open Snow is my full-time job, but really my full-time job is being a dad to a three-year-old son, and so that takes up most of my time. And then I try to ski when I can. So I went from skiing over 100 days a year to trying to get in 30 or 40 days a year, which still probably sounds like a lot to a lot of people. But for me, I feel like the priorities have shifted a little bit. But this year, it's all about getting my kiddo on skis. Beautiful. I was going to ask you about that. Has he been on yet or will this be the, the debut year? He has been held down a mountain between my legs, which I would not exactly call skiing, but he has the sensation. He knows what it's about. And he spent at least an hour today pretending to ski in our family room. He has the skis now. He puts his feet in. He gets into a tuck position. He pulls. He, you know, he does everything you could think of of skiing because he's seen enough ski videos now that he spends all the time pretending. So I think here in the next probably one or two weeks, he's going to get on the mountain for the first time and truly start skiing and making turns for himself. Oh, I love it. That'll be so much fun. Okay, let's go back and reminisce a little bit. Now, a year ago, about this time a year ago, we had you and Professor Powder Jim Steenberg on the podcast to kind of talk about that awesome start we had to the season. Tell me in all honesty, when we talked last December, did you ever conceive that Alta was going to hit 900 inches? No, I didn't conceive that Alta was going to hit 900 inches until a week before it happened, maybe, maybe two weeks before it happened, I kept thinking it had to stop. I mean, we were having a great season and we were tracking well above normal through, you know, January, but I did the calculations in early February and I was like, we would basically have to see a record next two months to come anywhere close to our all time records. And I was like, the chances of that happening are slim. Well, we saw the snowiest month in in our history in March, I think Alta got something like 238 inches or something. So I was completely wrong. And every time I thought there's no way we can keep up this pace or increase this pace, we did. So I didn't think we were coming. I think I said actually about with about a week left in March, you know, if it we really get a lot of snow out of these next few storms, there is a very, very tiny chance we could get to 900 inches, but I thought maybe five to 10% chance. And as we know, we got there. We sure did. Now, all of us want to know the scientific reason as to why we got all that snow and also how we can do it again. But is there any science to explain what happened last year? Yeah. I mean, it's all science. Now, is there a specific thing that happened I don't know. We were in a stubborn pattern. Anytime you have a really dry winter 
or a really snowy winter, it's because you got stuck in a pattern. And last year, we got stuck in a pattern in which we had a trough off the West Coast that was just sending tons and tons of moisture into California, into northern Nevada, across the northern half of the Great Basin, and into Utah and the Tetons. And with all of that moisture, we also got plenty of cold air, which you don't always get with these moisture streams. So we got very cold atmospheric rivers, one after another, throughout the entire season. So it was just relentless. It was these, you know, really long duration, moisture laden storms that still had plenty of cold air. So it snowed down to even the lower elevations. It was the perfect setup. And it felt like any time that was going to end, we would have a break from it. We would get a break for maybe five or six days, and then it would just set up again. So it was scientifically, it was just, I can't say why it happened, but it just set up in the perfect way for us to get the amount of snow we did. All of us lay people started to pick up these buzzwords and phrases last year. And I think my favorite was atmospheric river. Now, I know that's not new, but a lot of us learned about atmospheric rivers. Tell us a little bit more about what that is. Atmospheric river is kind of self-explanatory, but it's a river of moisture through the atmosphere. So as you look and measure saturation in the atmosphere, there's areas where it's much drier and there's areas where it's much wetter. And an atmospheric river is taking an area of very moist air, a lot of times down by the tropics or subtropics, and directing it in a somewhat narrow stream right towards landmass in this case. So it was pointing the stream of moisture right at California, at the Great Basin, and at Utah. And so those streams of moisture just routinely set up, pointed at us throughout the season. Yeah, it was just remarkable. Let's take a look at this season. I don't know. It's it's not like last year, but it's been pretty good. But, you know, we're in the going into the second week of December right now. We've had some good skiing here in Utah. Runs are starting to get open. Had a few powder days. What can you say about what we saw in November and into the early part of December? And 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 hopefully it's something that'll give us some enthusiasm for what's to come. It's typical. And the enthusiasm comes from the fact that Utah is a very snowy place. It has the greatest snow on earth, and typical is good. We are just above average. We're not quite to where we were last year, and it's, I hate to say it, but it's highly unlikely we're going to see a repeat. And so we're having a very typical start to the winter. We're seeing some storms. We're seeing the snowpack build. We're seeing terrain opening at the ski resorts, and typical's good. It's okay for us right now to go at what's an average pace, and honestly, we're a little bit above average. So I think that should give you enthusiasm that we're heading towards what looks like a pretty typical winter. As we look forward, and I know you can't predict where we're going to be. You couldn't have predicted 900 inches last year. But but are there any optimistic signs as we get into December? Are there things that you see floating around? Do you follow the powder buoy and see what that's going to send us? But any, anything in the, in, in the heavens that can give a sense of what we can expect as we head up to the holidays? I would say that so far, we're not seeing any stubborn ridging. And we haven't seen that. So far, when we've gotten ridges of high pressure that have kept us dry, 
they've only been keeping us dry for maybe five to seven days. And we're getting a pretty progressive pattern in which troughs are replacing ridges, ridges are replacing troughs. And so the optimism for me is that I don't think we're going to get into one of those stubborn ridge patterns where we go three or four weeks with little to no snow. Right now, it looks like at most we might see a week, maybe 10 days with no snow. And that's pretty normal to have that. And so I have optimism just knowing that the atmosphere is moving, it's churning, things are happening, and it doesn't look like we're going to get stuck in any stubbornly dry patterns. Evan, I, I know I said that was the last question, but I have one more for you before we get onto fresh tracks. The whale. I'm looking at the snow that we had last year, and I know that you've pointed to the whale at 9th and 9th, or technically 9th and 11th. What is the significance of the whale? That's a great question. The whale is unknowable, Palm. All I know is when they installed that on April 1st, 2022, after that moment, it started snowing and it feels like it never stopped. So I can't explain it. I just happened to be maybe the first person to notice the correlation that that went in. Everybody was talking about it and suddenly it was snowing again. So <laughs> I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I guess, accept that there's a higher power in that whale and just go with it. And I, you know, I've heard it's going to be the mascot for the Olympics, right? I put that out there. I mean, I love it. Why not? I love it because it's hilarious. I mean, if you put that out as the mascot for the Olympics, it's just kind of this weird quirky thing that outsiders would look at and they would look at our landlocked location and they would be like, why is a male, a whale, the mascot? And I think it would attract attention. I think it'd be funny. I think, it's kind of that irreverent feel that I would love to have as a mascot for the Salt Lake City Olympics. Are, are you one of those that's thinking about running a marathon around the whale? I will do a two kilometer run around the whale. And that's where I draw the line. <laughs> it's a good place to draw the line. <laughs> but I do love that people are doing that. I love that it's part of our culture. Like I love that so many people have taken to it. It's, it just adds to our community. Well, with that, let's get on to fresh tracks. Just a question I ask all of my guests, and I know that you probably have a tough time deciding this, but what's your favorite Utah ski run? I've been asked this before, and my answer I don't think has changed. I think it is Eddie's High Nowhere or Gunsight at Alta on the backside of Greeley Ridge. Beautiful. And what are you skiing on? What are your boards this year? I am skiing currently on... The Black Ops Rosignals. Love those, actually. Did you Were you on them this weekend? I was on them this weekend, yes. Yeah, that is a nice pair of skis. Your favorite snow reporting experience from last year? My favorite snow reporting experience was when I was there in late March, and I was up there verifying totals for myself when we saw something like 70 inches of snow in three days. I got interlodged at Alta. I skied the deepest powder imaginable, and there was no need to check actual snow reports because I was up there getting as deep as I could on my skis, and that was my favorite one. I love that one. Oh, here's one you probably aren't going to like, but your most memorable missed forecast of all time. Oh, that was last year, too. It was the second week of December, which is just happens to be when we're recording this. We had a storm come in, and I think I said there would be up to two feet of snow in the Cottonwood Canyons. And I think 
the highest I saw anybody go was 30 inches of snow, which I was like, "Eh, I'm not sure that's going to happen. And we ended up getting 65 inches of snow in about four days. And so it was more than double the highest forecast I saw. And I keep stats on how far off my forecasts are. And that ruined my standard deviation of how accurate I was for most of the season. It took me the rest of the season to get back to where I had been in previous seasons because of that one storm that just blew my forecast so badly. But Evan, when you err on the low side, no one's going to care, right? Right. Steenberg, I'm going to steal his line, but the the secret to happy life is low expectations. <laughs> Absolutely. How about your favorite Utah TV weatherman? This has changed recently. I think Chase Thomason is my favorite. He has an enthusiasm for skiing that I love, and I've seen him do weather reports on the mountain while snowboarding down. And I've tried to do that, and it is really, really hard to think and not run into somebody at the same time. I did see that last year. He is enthusiastic. And then the last one, your favorite High West whiskey. American Prairie. So smooth and so delicious. Love it. Evan Thayer, Open Snow, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got to go get to sleep. you got to be up at 4 a.m. to tell us how much snow we're going to see across Utah. Good to see you. Good to see you, Tom. Thanks to Evan Thayer, Utah's snow reporter for Open Snow. We're happy to have him applying science and a little bit of intuition to give us the forecast every day. Check him out at opensnow.com, and if you don't already have it, Get the app and subscribe to get the latest reports from your favorite resort. And before we go, a big thanks to episode sponsor Gregory Mountain Products. Utah is the heart of the great outdoors, and it only makes sense that many of the very best outdoor product companies also make their home right here in the shadow of the Wasatch Range. One of those companies I really love is Gregory Mountain Products. In fact, I'm using a slimline Gregory pack for my backcountry avi gear, and I just love it. Today, I want to introduce you to the Verte In Resort Ski Backpack from Gregory Mountain Products. The Verde backpack is the ultimate winter companion for those who want to hit the slopes with confidence and style. One of its cool features is a goggle-style hip belt so you don't get tangled up on the chairlift. And if you're in search of a touring backpack, look at Gregory's impressive line of award-winning Avi packs designed to take into the backcountry with ease. This season, buy from a company that lives the Utah experience because it lives right here in the Wasatch. That's Gregory Mountain Products, and you can find them at gregory.com. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend and leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. And check out the archives on your favorite podcast platform. Episode 4 featured one of my favorite resort leaders, James Coleman. And before that, we checked in with Woodward's global leader, Chris Gunny Gunnarsson, a legend in action sports circles. To close this out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Watch for them on tour this winter and stay tuned for some new music coming out soon. I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It's a great day to ski in Utah.